you know, triathletes and swimming where it's such a training community, train, 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 train. You always feel like you're behind or you got to add mm-hmm. more training. But, you know, the, the worst type of training is sitting at home injured or in the PT realm. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. John, welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. Thanks for, for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, you're, I mean, your background, you've, um, you grew up as a swimmer. Um, then you've um, sort of moved into uh, not so much swimming coaching, but working with a lot of athletes with strength, strength and conditioning and a few other things. Can you um, give the, the people listening a little bit of your background and um, the type of people that you've worked with? Because you've got a, a lot of experience working with a lot of different levels of, of athletes. Yeah, definitely. So like you said, I, I you know grew up swimming my whole life. I was fortunate to swim in college in the States. And then after that, went on to PT school where I did some research on swimming, particularly with um, lung capacities and injury prevention. And then since then, started a strength and conditioning and physical therapy facility here in Santa Clara, where we've worked with, you know, I think now over 10 Olympic swimmers, um, most notably world record holder Sun Yang was working with him and the Chinese team leading up to the last world championships. But also at our facility, we see a wide variety of, you know, the 12-year-old swimmer that might have some shoulder pain or the master swimmer or triathlete just trying to improve their strength training or strength and injury prevention to get them through the next season. And so, and you travel around a lot working with different teams and um, with, a, with, a, with strengths and conditioning and a few other things. So what's, what's your primary sort of, what are you doing most at the moment? You know, it really is a kind of a mix right between just performance and strength training and physical therapy or preventative training. So I'll be doing some soft tissue type of work with the teams I travel with um, and other ones I'll be doing their full strength and conditioning programming. So kind of depends on what the team needs, what they already have in place and you know where I can fit in um, most suitably. And I, I know you do a lot of Q and A's on, uh, on Facebook as Facebook live events. And uh, I really like your approach where, I mean, you're similar to me where I th- it's about, you need a lot of background on the, the person and there's no one right response for everyone because it's so individual with what might be causing their uh, their them pain or why, why they, their feet might be sinking so um, what do you like to go through when it comes to uh, you call it a needs analysis when you start working with someone what's that needs analysis look like for you yeah so one it depends if they're coming in for an injury or they're coming in for performance you know if they're coming in for an injury it just starts with a sit down where we're just chatting about you know where exactly they're having pain and the typical physical therapy approach where we're learning about you know what things bother it um if it's up upsetting or disrupting their training at all and then you know obviously where our clinic's a little different we do have that swimming background we can get into the specific biomechanics if it's you know painful on their initial catch of their stroke and things like that um if it's someone coming in for performance, we'll be talking about injuries as well at the beginning because that can limit performance, even if it's a past injury. Then after that, we'll be talking about areas that they feel like they could improve most on in their swimming. So just a, a subjective interview, talking to them about their opinions. And then after that, we get into what I call you know, the daily little things that add up a lot, which is nutrition, sleep, and then mindset, and trying to ask them questions, try and get into their head, get into their daily routines and see if we can pick off some of the you know, simple daily things to help out with improvement of performance. Um, After that, we're going to be put in through a movement screen, one that we have pretty specific to the clinic, but it's like you said, individualized to the swimmer. 
Um, there are is a lot of overlap between swimmer to swimmer, but obviously if you're a triathlete that's coming in um, and you have a history of knee pain, then we're going to be doing some more knee-based stuff versus if you're just a age group swimmer with no history of, of any pain at all. But that's how we get the whole process going. If the athlete has video, we, we utilize that. And sometimes we'll go to the pool and do some video analysis ourselves, but depends exactly um, their level, where they're at, and what they're looking for. Mm. And in terms of the movements, what, what are some of the basic dry land movements that you would expect or would like swimmers to be able to do to be able to basically like good movement patterns? What's, what are some of the, the basics that you'd see there? Yeah. So, I mean, first we're always looking just at the main range of motion. So shoulder range of motion and lumbar spine range of motion. Um, so we'll have them just go through those. And a lot of times swimmers will have shoulder pain just through, you know, full ranges of internal rotation at the shoulder and other shoulder motion. So that gives us some, you know, clues that we need to work on that. Um, outside of that, if we're past just general range of motion, we're looking at core stability. So we'll be doing some things on the table. Um, lateral stability where they're doing things like planks and side planks and then as far as more general movements um it varies from person to person but our most common ones are probably a pull-up a push-up a squat a hip hinge um and a jump and you know those are really nice basic ones that most people have some familiarity with but gives us a lot of information on where they might be failing or how they're going and approaching this movement to give us an idea of what we need to work on. Obviously, the question most swimmers have, and they should have, is you know what's this translation between on land and in water? And in all honesty, it's not great, but it gives us a lot of ideas on how someone's moving or what type of pain they're having or where they might be having weakness. And then we try to use that information based off of what we see in the pool to see if they're both coinciding. If someone's a you know a, a triathlete and they are wiggling a lot in the water, their hips are moving side to side, then we do some of our side planks and lateral core stability test, and they're weak there as well. It gives us an idea that perhaps they don't have the capabilities of general core stability on their sides to prevent that wiggle, and it's not necessarily a pure your swimming biomechanical issue mm. yeah that's interesting i mean i work similarly i work with a lot of different athletes and sometimes you can really you can you can pick what the the flaws that they might have or the the weaknesses or the instabilities a lot of times just by looking at them and the the way they come in and the way they carry themselves um, mm -hmm. and that can often translate into their technique in the pool and and you're right with that crossover from you know what's a crossover from this dry land test or this dry land exercise and how does that translate into the pool and I, th I think being able to, con to convey that and the importance of it and how it's actually going to affect them when it comes to their swimming is really important because I, you know, when I was growing up we do a lot of uh, strength exercises we do some tests here and there I never quite grasped what you know, why are we doing this this stuff and how is it going to make me faster in the pool but I think being able to bridge that gap and ex explain why we're doing these certain things gives them a lot a lot more motivation and, and reason to to do the programs that you set certainly and i think being able to communicate that thoroughly being able to individualize it appropriately really are key and it, once again it's just like you know if you're working with them in the pool you know you can build your hypothesis off the needs analysis provide an implementation but then you got to reassess say for example that swimmer that we were maybe working on their lateral stability you know, we provided some side planks and anti-rotational exercises and they improved on land, but in the pool, they're still having that wiggle that's occurring. Then we can say, okay, maybe this wasn't what we thought, but you have to be able to assess it on land and in the water, work on it, go back and assess it, 
and then determine if you've made improvement. And hopefully if you've made the correct assessment, you have, but it doesn't always happen that, you know, that clean cut and that easily. So sometimes you do have to go back to the drawing board or try something a little bit different. Yeah, exactly. I found the same thing. We, we do a lot of video analysis with people uh, online and um, we often get them to send videos in every two or three weeks, depending at what stage they're at. But yeah. and we look at it and go, all right, this is the these are the first this is the first one or two things that I want to focus on, and I want you to try this, and then send in another video two or three weeks later, and if that's corrected, great. If not, then you know we might need to look at something at, at working on something else, maybe another drill or um, a different aspect of the stroke to help make that change, because it sometimes it is a little bit of trial and error, no matter how much you, how many different people you work with and how much experience you have, it's still about finding out what that individual athlete needs. Exactly. You got it. And, uh, and you've spoken a bit about on your Q and A's about, uh, if, if you don't have a sports psychologist, what a couple of mental incantations that you can do as someone who, you know, if, if you're on your own training and, and you don't have that kind of support. So can you talk a little bit more about, uh, those and, and what you'd recommend for people? Yeah, the most common one I give, and it's just for the person that has a tough time maybe getting through tough sets on their own, or perhaps they're just getting too anxious behind uh, the blocks at a race or at the beginning of a triathlon. They just, you know, have the nerves building up too much, and it's just a, a positive repeated saying or incantation. So I, the co most common one I recommend is just coming up with three short positive sayings that are individual to the person can be silly can be you know super psych up whatever works for that individual and then what they're going to be doing is just repeating that saying over and over in their head so for example it would just be i'm strong i'm healthy and no one can stop me you just keep repeating that over and over during that stressful set where you feel, you know, like you're you're really starting to hurt and those negative thoughts kind of start to murk into your brain a little bit or you could utilize this behind the block as a self pump up to help you or help provide you you stress to help decrease some of the the bad stress that might come in and provide some negative um, performance um, aspects. So those are the that's the most common one I give. But once again, it can be goofy depending on the person. It could be you know I'm a superhero or you know I've worked so hard. So it really depends on that person. So it needs to be an individual saying to be most effective. Mm. The one that I like to use if I'm halfway through a really tough set and it's yeah and i feel like i want to get out if i'm doing a set by myself uh i just say all right just do the next the next repetition whatever it is a 200 or a 400 i right, just just get through that and then if you want you can you can jump out but i just keep doing that each time and eventually I get to the end and you know, i've made it through the set but when that doubt starts to creep in that's what i find works best for me um and i've found uh, those those sayings or those, those affirmations um, have worked really well for for other people as well. And just instead of getting into that negative loop cycle, it's it's good just to be able to repeat those positive things, and um, and that can be really useful. And um, I also want to talk about what steps that you like to go through to help adults without a swimming background to develop a, a good catch or a high elbow catch. And what are some of the the exercises, some of the drills? to go through for, for those people who may not necessarily have much feel for the water um, or much grasp around a high elbow catch. Yeah. So, you know, if they were to be coming in, we'd be checking shoulder internal rotation um, in a very similar position that they would be doing the catch. See if they even have enough shoulder internal rotation. Most adults that get to the sport, you know, at an older age aren't going to have even enough range of motion to get to 
the position that we want them to in the pool. So if that's the case, we'd be recommending them to either see a soft tissue specialist or to do some manual self uh, myofascial release or to self massage on the posterior rotator cuff, particularly the infraspinatus and teres minor, minor. And that should help improve that shoulder range of motion to hopefully give them just the, the capability to achieve that range in the pool. Um, outside of that, I really think it's going to be a lot of practice in the pool. You know, as much as I love dry land and all that, you can't replicate really what you're trying to do with the skill work out of the water in, um, out, in the pool out of the water. So once we get them the enough range of motion on land, then it's getting to the pool, practicing it, doing video analysis, working with a coach or another swimmer that can just help them um, learn and make sure that they're doing it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. We When we run clinics, one of the first things we um, we go through with them is we kind of go through that catch motion outside of the pool and mm -hmm. exactly what you mentioned. It's a lot of adults, especially triathletes, if they're spending a lot of time on the bike, they're rounded through the shoulders or someone who's sat at a desk for a, a number of years, they're so tight around the back of the shoulder. Mm -hmm. So they can't physically get into that ideal catch position. So, you know, we look at that and then, um, using some, some massage balls and, um, foam rollers just to open up through the shoulders over the coming weeks and months. But then when we go through the exercises and drills in the water, one of the, the first drills that we do is what I call catch kick, which is basically on your front, one arm's by the side, the other arm's out in front in the ideal catch position. So the elbow's almost pointing forwards, the hand, the forearm is vertical, and you're just mm -hmm. kicking with the arm out in front. So kind of replicating or going through that, that movement if they were to have the ideal catch and it takes with most people it takes two or three sets of feedback to say move your hand this way your fingertips are pointing off to the side get them down and just working with people to get them to to get the feel for that correct position because it's such a foreign movement and that's why it's very hard to you can only talk about it so much you've really got to go in the water go through some trial and error and and get that feedback to be able to get a feel for it. And then it's just about repetition and practicing it and um, getting yourself used to, to doing that. So um, yeah, that's, I've found exactly the, the same thing. And yeah, definitely. And it's one of those, if you can't do it on land, if you don't have the range on land, there's no way you're going to be able to get in the water where, you know, you got all types of other stimuli and changes occurring. So you, you got to get that range on land. And with the soft tissue, the biggest error we see with people doing massage balls and foam rolls is they're just not spending enough time on the right spots. You know, they'll do, mm -hmm. oh, 20, 30 seconds here and there. You know, sometimes we're recommending three bouts of five to 10 minutes a day for some people that are really tight. So it just takes a while to deform and get more blood flow to some of these tissues to hopefully get the motions that are required. And do you recommend when people are doing that, do you recommend like what level of uh, pain do you recommend they go to? Obviously not. Great to, question. Yeah. <laughs> how, how much should they get stuck into it? Like it's, um, yeah, is it an individual thing or, you know? Yeah. You... Yeah. I think, I think it is individual for just a general guide that we always start with people is, you know, if 10, if you're laying on a massage ball, a cross ball, whatever you have, and it's, um, a 10 out of 10 pain, that means you're crying. That's obviously too much. If you're laying on the ball and you don't feel anything, you could fall asleep. That's a zero out of 10. We want to be in the four to six range. So it's, you know, moderate where you're feeling it. You can tell something's happening, but it's not so much you're cursing either my name or, or Brenton's name or you're crying on the ball. <laughs> That's uh, a, a, a good guide to go with. Uh, and then what about shoulder injuries in, in adults? What do you see is the most common cause of it? 
what would you recommend for them to help prevent it or obviously treating it's going to be individual but um, what do you often see when you're working with those types of swimmers yeah usually it's kind of like you were saying they have a desk position or they're sitting or on their phone too much or they have rounded shoulders or they're on their bike they're they're a cyclist or a runner traditionally then they're getting in the pool so they're already starting in the water with not enough shoulder range of motion they get in there they're trying to do too much volume and they're doing incorrect technique um, so those are the three main contributors i'd say out of water um, position throughout the day poor technique in the water and then too much volume at the beginning with that poor technique. So those are the main things I see with masters or triathletes that are leading to shoulder injuries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, to help that out, I always say, you know, find someone to either record yourself in the pool or a coach to work with yourself um, to make sure that you are getting the right technique. Keep working on postures out of the water, whether it's, you know, daily shoulder hygiene, as we call it here, just having the shoulders back, not letting those shoulders round forward, or going and finding a physio or a physical therapist to maybe do a postural assessment to maybe prevent the pain or any pain from coming up or to start nipping it in the butt early on if it does approach you. Mm. Yeah, one of the mistakes I've made in the past, you know, a lot of athletes I've seen have done the same thing, is it's you, you get a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a niggle in the shoulder and you go, oh, it'll be fine. I'll swim through it. And you don't actually, you don't look at trying to, to get on top of it early on. And then it just gets worse and gets worse and gets worse. And I mean, I did this, I did this last week. I was, uh, I was in the car during Christmas. We were driving a lot back and forth from family and beach and all that sort of stuff. And when I'm sitting in the car for a couple of hours, I get really tight through the, uh, the hips, the glutes, my, my shoulders as well. And then I did a, I did a, a strength session, just a very easy one, but it was the first time I'd done much strength work for a while. And halfway through it, I kind of tweaked my tweaked my back, and now I'm sort of back to doing two k's a session compared to to four to six, and just stupid little things like that. It's you know, and and I yeah, I if I was coaching someone, I'd I, you know, I'd say don't don't go hard with any strength work. Keep it very basic, and but then yeah, yeah. I go and do it myself. So. It's um, yeah, I, I can see how it uh, how it happens, but it's it's really just about being smart about it, and <laughs> um, yeah, and and it's easy to uh, <laughs> to have the hindsight. It's and well, and don't feel bad. Get... It happens to all of us. I do the same thing sometimes. It's always easier to give advice sometimes than to take advice. But uh, I couldn't agree more with you. Where if it's something small, I'd rather have an athlete miss a day than miss a week later on, or rather have miss a week than obviously miss a month or so on and so forth. So we want to make sure we are nipping these little things early on. And I think just our mindset, especially in, you know, triathletes and swimming where it's such a training community, train, 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 train. You always feel like you're behind or you got to add mm-hmm. more training. But, you know, the the worst type of training is sitting at home injured or in the PT realm. So we have to make sure you are staying as healthy as you can. Realize there is time. There's always time. So don't try to overdo it or push through these little niggles, as you called it, too too much. Yeah, absolutely. And you've worked with a, a number of Olympic swimmers, um, a lot of the guys in the Chinese team. Are there any traits or habits, things that they do that stood out to you when you're working with them? You know, I'd say the, the most common thing I'm seeing with the Olympians that I'm working with is having just a, you know, a, a nice team around them. Um, I'm seeing it more and more where it's a, you know, a massage therapist, a chiropractor, a physio, a bio, biomechanist, a swim coach. And, and these are really the things that I'm seeing more and more, just these elite athletes surrounding themselves with 
more and more people to help them out along the journey. Because as we're learning more and more, it's such a multifactorial system. You can't just have, you know, one person take you all the way there. So being able to, you know, fill your, your, you know, we'll call it your bucket of your team with all these different experts and people that can help you is something that I'm seeing more and more elite athletes have. As far as, you know, what the Olympians have within them internally, um, one, a great feel for the water. And some of them, or most of them, I haven't worked with at a young age. So it's hard to say whether that was just something that they were able to pick up really early on or something that they developed. You know, I think most of them at that level, they, you know, they're the kid that they get in the water and boom, they're falling into early vertical form at the age of five without much feedback and things like that. So it's just that, you know, I don't always like to use this term because people get fixated on it, but that amazing feel for the water, I think a lot of these Olympians are, are really born with. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just an, another level of feel for the water, isn't it, with athletes at that level? You, um, when I've been at, at the pool watching, watching Olympians or national representatives swim, it's just... You, know, you think about like if, if you're swimming a, a sub 60, 100 freestyle, that's at least 10 seconds slower than those, those top guys. And you just think, well, that is, that is so, that's a big jump from there to there. And um, they just really take it to a, another level. And it's just beautiful to watch. It really is. And, you know, these Olympians, you know, when you watch them practice, it's, you know, they, they put these times up in practice, you know, so it's not like, oh, they just hop on the block and it happens. You know, they are in practice going, you know, 23, 50 meter freeze from a push and things like this, where it's just like, wow, it's really amazing. And, and like you said, it's um, their, their skill in the water, their biomechanics, you know, they're not flawless. That's the one thing about swimming. We still have tons of room for improvement, but compared to the average Joe, you know, their ability to find water with that catch, to have a nice sturdy hand and not have air pockets and bubbles form around their hand. It, it really is a, a beautiful thing to see. Mm, absolutely. And you, I work with a lot of swimmers who are sort of around the two minute to two fifteen range per hundred. So mm-hmm. triathletes and that sort of thing. And yeah. um, it's, it's great working with them because they will often feel like they're, they're stuck there and they're wondering how can I possibly get, get quicker? Like I just, I've been trying for the last year or two and, I'm just stuck here, but there is so much room for improvement. There's so much opportunity there and different things you can work on to get down to 150, 140 and so on. That it's, it's a lot of fun helping them make those gains and, uh, and just be able to see what that progression could look like for them when they feel like they feel like they a little bit helpless with that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And then you're at the other end where you've got the Olympians, you've got the elite swimmers where they're looking to knock off, 0.1, 0.2, 0.1, 0.2, and they'll be happy. So it's um, it's a it's a different game, and I think it's you've got to get very detailed when it comes to the really pointy end of the the field. Um, but where you're working with the more amateur athletes or, or newer swimmers, there's um, there's so many different things, and it's about all right, what do we actually want to focus on here? Because um, we could look at a dozen different different aspects of their training. Certainly, and it, but it it still is tricky, you know, on any realm, whether you have the, you know, triathlete with 30 things to try to improve on or the Olympic swimmer that has, you know, six things to try to improve on, trying to determine what's that, you know, biggest area for improvement and then how to, you know, get it fixed is, that's the fun part. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, I know you've got to, uh, to go soon. So um, for anyone listening to this, um, what are some of the, the services you offer? How can people get in touch with you and 
uh, find out when you're doing your, your Facebook live events. You, know, you do it, put out a lot of content, which, uh, which I appreciate. So um, where can people find out more about the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, definitely. So if anyone's in the, you know, we're based in Santa Clara, California here in my practice. So if you're, you know, in the area or looking for online remote services for dryland consultations, strength training consultations, physio consultations, um, www.trainingcore, but it's just C-O-R with no E.com is the best way to find us there or info at training core. Once again, no E at the end of core.com. For swimming specific stuff, um, I run a website called swimmingscience.net and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we're putting out a lot of our content on those realms as well. So those are the best ways to, to find us online or get in touch with us if you have any specific questions or needs. Fantastic. And uh, if you listen to this, we'll put all the links up on effortlesswimming.com. And uh, John, I appreciate you spending some time with, with me and uh, sharing your experience. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. I really appreciate everything you, that you're putting out there. And um yeah, I love talking to people like yourself because you've, you've got the experience. You, it sounds like you love to learn. You love to work with swimmers and help people get better. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Hey, sure thing. Had a, had a pleasure, and I hope uh, you guys got some value out of this. And to everyone out there, just keep swimming. There's always some room for improvement. Just don't give up. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.